Well, the listener says, Dan, I'm not proud of the work I do, but... Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, what do you do if you're not proud of the work you do? Can you really maintain that? Can you justify doing the work you do simply because it pays the bills? Well, hey, I've been working with people a very long time, and I've worked with a whole lot of people who have proven their ability to do something and proven their ability to generate income, and yet they hate the life they've created. You don't want to go there. I know you don't. We're going to talk about how to turn the corner on those kind of feelings. Some of the other questions we'll be looking at is, Dan, how do we start to subtly sabotage our work if it doesn't fit us? Should I take a job when it doesn't check all the work I love boxes? How do you keep it together for your family when all you want to do is fall apart? Well, those are some of the things we'll be looking at. Got some contests coming up. I want to tell you about some resources. You might want to grab a pen and paper for this one because I'm going to give you some things that you'll want to be able to check out. Here's our quotation for the day. Actually, this comes from one of mine in one of my books. Given the amount of time we spend working, failure to find meaningful, significant work is not just a minor misstep in living out God's plan. It is a deeper kind of failure that can make each day feel like living death. It's important to figure this thing out, guys. Life is too short to spend the majority of our time doing something that's not fulfilling, something that's not purposeful, something that doesn't engage our best talents and our passions. Nope, just not worth it. Now, speaking of which, a couple weeks ago, I read that, painful letter from a dad about a son who wanted to write and the mom and dad were concerned about a son who wanted to write rather than doing something that would keep a roof over his head and pay the bills. Well, we've gotten a lot of response from that. We're going to pull out the ads from that, make that a standalone resource. What if your dream is not paying the bills? One of the people who responded, one of the many people who responded to that was Heather Bonham. Dear Dan, your episode from February 15th really resonated with me, both as a creative type and as a parent. Our oldest daughter is in college. She has chosen to major in writing with our full support, financial and otherwise. Thus, I understood the sentiments of the father who emailed you about his creative writer son, and I appreciated your thorough and balanced response. Last week's podcast episode should be required listening for students who want to pursue a creative path. I want my daughter not only to listen, but really study this episode. Therefore, I've created a study guide for it. I plan to pay my daughter for her time to listen to your podcast and complete the study guide. I will attach the study guide and answer key to this email. Please use and or share it as you wish. Do you mind if I also put it up as a free resource on my website with a link to your podcast? Well, no, not at all. Golly, I'd be delighted. I'm thrilled, honored that you uh, created a study guide. Now, here's what we've done. We have created a resource that includes Heather's study guide. 
along with the answer key, along with that podcast, the cleaned up version, all those things in a resource. Now, you know, what if your dream is not paying the bills? That's really the theme that we had for that. So if you go to 48days.com slash creativity, that's where all those resources are going to be. Now, we do this a lot you know, where we put together resources where we can then reference those as similar questions come up, which they do. I mean, you know that there's a lot of questions that are similar that come up. This is certainly a common theme. So now we have a resource. What if your dream is not paying the bills? Again, 48days.com slash creativity is where you'll find all of that. Now we got a contest going on for the month of March. Right here, this you're listening to this on the first day of March, if you listen to it when it first comes up. But if you're out of work right now, we did this five years ago, and response was phenomenal in, in terms of overwhelming numbers. But if you're out of work right now, send a brief note to out of work at 48days.com explaining how you lost your job, what you learned from the process, and what you're moving to. We're going to draw one name per week in the entire month of March to receive the Ultimate Fresh Start Package. That's a really robust product resource, compilation of books and materials that will help you get a fresh start. So the Ultimate Fresh Start. Now, again, the email for that is out of work at 48days.com, O-U-T-T-A-W-O-R-K, out of work at 48days.com. No shame in that. I mean, a lot of people are in between opportunities, but uh, just tell us how you lost your job, what you learned from the process, what you're moving to, and then we'll draw some winners during the month of March. Now, a couple of good news things here, and then we'll move into these tough, interesting, intriguing, captivating questions that you all submitted, but uh, here's some good news. When parents accidentally lock keys in their car with their infant daughter, a group of inmates offer their skills. Now, this is kind of a funny story because this was in uh, Newport, Ritchie, Florida. Uh, There was a dad who had accidentally locked his car with his one-year-old daughter inside with the car running and the keys are in it. Okay, accidentally locked them in. I know how it can happen. Those buttons right there in the door handle, if you hit that one on your way out, boom, it can happen. Well, the police were nearby, and they were going to break the window. Break the window in his car, and there were some nonviolent offenders, five of them that were working, you know, doing yard work. You know how they do, walking along the road, and they were nearby, and they said, geez, don't break the window. You know, let us get in. It's kind of funny, you know, the skills that may have landed them where they are, but uh, then seeing an opportunity to use those skills in a positive way, they did that. Again, the father sued his daughter from the window, his little one-year-old, and these guys, these inmates who were out on work detail, uh, took them just a couple minutes to uh, do a couple maneuvers and open the door. Uh Cool story, fun kind of thing. There was a there's a video of that that was shared by the infant's mother, and the crowd the crowd gathered, and they could be heard cheering as these guys got in there very quickly. They've got on their you know their striped jackets and all, so it's clear that they're being detained at the moment, but uh, use their skills to do a good deed. I love that. Now here's one that's 
pretty interesting. This has a Nashville connection here, so I wanted to share it. But it, but it has a connection with the, those of you, that a lot of you, you know, are trying to start ministries and you have visions for the good things that could be done. Well, this is an example of that. And I want to make a point when I tell you the details of this story. So, you know, the, the rock band Aerosmith, Steven Tyler, he just donated a half a million dollars, $500,000 to open up another home for abused and traumatized girls. I don't want to go into all the details, but it happens to be a Pacific soft spot for him. So he's already donated hundreds of thousands of dollars to ensure the health and happiness of abused girls, various places. And now this new shelter is being opened in Memphis. So just earlier this week, they did a ribbon cutting ceremony for Janie's house, newly renovated shelter for abused and neglected girls outside of Memphis. And again, that was due to his half million dollar donation. It's a facility designed to offer treatment and accommodations for up to 14 girls who have experienced trauma in the past. The shelter was aptly named after Aerosmith's hit his 1989 song, Janie's Got a Gun, about a girl who was being abused by her family. Now, this is the second shelter that Stephen Tyler's opened. The first was opened in Atlanta back in 2017, but he's got this philanthropic organization now called Genie's Fund, and he's looking for uh, opportunities to help with organizations like this. Now, the reason I mention this, and his organization has given over $4 million in the last couple of years to funding for abused women and children. Now, Stephen lives right here in Nashville. I mean, he's avid about being here in Nashville. He says, I feel like Nashville is an old shoe. He gets to write with people, perform with people. He loves it, says he'll never, never leave Nashville. But now the reason I wanted to share this is because a lot of times when people are doing nonprofits or they're looking for uh, something that they want to do to help the homeless or whatever, you know, and so they're going out and they're living on beans and rice themselves and looking for people who will give $10 to help that. Sometimes we overlook the opportunities to give somebody an opportunity who has money that they're looking to do something charitable, something worthwhile. Sometimes I think we overlook that. I mean, this relates to the principle called Occam's razor, Occam's razor. So it means look for the simple solution. That would be an example. Here would be an example. If I, as an author, have a new book out and I want to sell 10,000 copies, and I typically we think, well, I've got to find 10,000 people who will buy one copy. What if I found an organization like, uh, let's say that it was somehow a fit for Hobby Lobby and Hobby Lobby bought 10,000 copies, one purchase, 10,000 copies. The end result is the same. That's the kind of thing to look for. And I think this is a great example. I mean, we happen to know a lady right here in Franklin, Tennessee, who's trying to put together a shelter for women who are coming out of prison. And she's had a dinner where she you know, wanted people to give, you know, $25 or whatever you could. And she's spent a couple of years, you know, trying to get a few bucks together, trying to figure out a way to do this. Well, what if you contacted one of the very, very wealthy, I mean, there are people driving around in Franklin, Tennessee here. I mean, the, recently Joanna and I stopped in at uh, Burger Up, one of the hot burger places right here in Franklin on a Saturday morning, and there were seven 
vehicles lined up in the parking lot. Now, this is a little burger joint. I mean, it's it's a pretty cool place. Have you ever been here? I mean, I took my friend Skip Pritchard, who's CEO of a major company up in Columbus, Ohio, to burger up recently. You know, he, he loves going there. So I often take people there. So it's a really cool little place. But, I mean, you're talking about $8 burgers. It's not some high fancy place. There were seven cars lined up. The least expensive in there was probably $350,000. But there were Ferraris, Lamborghinis, McLarens, you know, lined up. And these are just guys from here in Franklin who got together on a Saturday morning, went for a, a drive together, I suppose. But if somebody can drop half a million dollars on a car, they might be a candidate to give you a quarter of a million dollars for the project that you've got going. And I think sometimes we overlook that. We make it too difficult. Uh, use that principle. Find Steven Tyler if his heart's desire lines up with what you're trying to do and you already have a mechanism in place to, to do that. All right. Well, hey, a couple quick notes here from listeners. Mark says, I just had to take a moment today to personally thank you for the honest leadership you're giving me. Paying $36 a month for the Eagles membership is a tiny price to pay for the coaching I'm receiving from you. On top of that, the community of people that are gathering this group has become a whole new set of people for friendship and real support. I'm especially thankful for the balanced approach that you bring to life and business. I feel like God designed your whole life just for me at this season in my life. Clearly, your impact stretches wide, but I'm just one guy that cannot start today without thanking you, my friend. Thankfully, Mark Delaney. Well, thank you, Mark. I appreciate you taking the time to write that note. That's very meaningful. I never get tired of hearing things like that. And I love the affirmation of what we're doing in the Eagles community as well. Well, James says, thanks for reminding people on your podcast this past week that not everyone has to get a four-year degree. And now check this out. Uh, James says that in 1996 and 19 years old, I took a year-long course at Nashville Auto Diesel College and earned my associate's degree. The cost was less than $10,000. Last year, at 41 years old, my net worth was over $1 million with no debt. Uh, for your information, you're the only, only the second person I've told. I work because I enjoy it. Of course, there's more to my story, and money isn't everything. I've been listening to you way back from your days on 99.7. Wow, that was that is a long time ago. Uh, this podcast, the first episode was in December of 2009. So this December, it'll be 10 years. So Mark's been listening since back before that when I was on live radio, WWTN right here in Nashville, Tennessee. And he says, thanks again for legitimizing the trades, James. Well, thank you, James. I appreciate that. We're going to, we got a couple other questions today about things that are more the trades, the manual kind of work. And we want to affirm those things and let people know those are great opportunities. If you're a Ferrari mechanic, golly, congratulations. We need people like you. If you're a stonemason or if you're somebody that can build a water feature like uh, Terry Wakefield did for us here in front of our home, golly, those skills are very, very valuable. Now, here's a note from Paul. Greetings, Dan. The idea that we will sabotage areas of our work life if they are ill-fitting intrigues me. For example, example, if I'm a four-year guy, I get bored and begin sabotaging an area of work that I've been engaged in for more than four years. If we're not well-suited for a rigid, hierarchical, corporate structure and stay in that context too long, we begin to sabotage. In your view, how can that sabotage show up? What does it look like? 
Thank you so much, Paul. Well, Paul, I really understand what you're talking about. I mean, Joanne, my wife calls me a three-year man, even at this point, because she knows that typically that's about how long it is before I start to lose interest in something, even if it's been very successful. So I'm constantly changing things in my work and business because I know the danger I have of just getting bored. So how does your self-sabotage start to show up? Let's say that you are in a job, like Paul, you're indicating that maybe you are in a typical kind of job. You start getting bored. How is that sabotage, subtle sabotaging of the job, likely to show up. And boy, does it ever. Now, I'm going to give you seven things here that I just jotted down as kind of thinking through this. But we see this happen a lot. We see this where somebody really is losing interest in their job. Now, they know they have to be responsible. They have to keep the job. But golly, they really have lost interest. You know, they're ready for something different. They're bored. And so, you know what? Usually, those feelings are so transparent that they do start to subtly sabotage their job. Those people who think they're bored, they're tired of doing the same thing, and then they're surprised when they're given their termination papers. Well, guess what? If a company realizes your heart's not there anymore, they're probably going to let you go. So you better stay in the driver's seat by recognizing this in yourself and creating an exit or transition plan before the company figures out you really don't want to be there and they let you go in their terms. So here's how this might show up. If you're experiencing these things, you're probably sabotaging the job that you currently have, showing up late and justifying it. Ah, gee, I got cut in traffic. I know it's the third time this week, but hey, give me a break. Nah, if you're doing that consistently, you're sabotaging your job. Indecision. Not caring enough to make a firm decision. Just kind of go with the flow. Avoiding communication with others at work. You know, you feel like you've lost your connectivity with them. Your interests are in other areas. You got a little side gig at home. You just want to get away from work as fast as you can. So that's a subtle sign you're sabotaging your work. Number four, following rather than leading. Again, just kind of falling in behind the herd. You don't have new ideas. You really don't care. Number five, self-hatred because you're not being authentic. You know this isn't right. You know you're not really being true to yourself. The old Shakespeare, you know, know thyself until thy own self be true. Then thou canst not be false. Thou canst not be false to any other man. Well, if you aren't being authentic, yeah, you're going to start to have some self-loathing going on there. Number six, growing fear because you know you need to move on, but haven't created a plan of action. So you start to look over your shoulder. You start to wonder, gee, do they know? Do they really sense what I'm feeling? And then number seven, just doing my job. Wow. If that's your attitude, you know, you see a piece of paper on the floor, but you walk past it because, well, that's not your job. You do data input. You do graphic design. That's not your job. No, Anything that advances the company forward, anything that concerns the company is your job. It doesn't matter what your position is. And if you resort to, hey, that's not my job, you are sabotaging the job that you have. Well, great question, Paul. Hope that helps. I'll put those in the show notes so you can reference that. Those seven things that if you're doing those, you're probably sabotaging the job that you have now. 
Hi, Dan. This comes from, uh, my name is Ron. I'm writing from down under Sydney, Australia. I've owned and operated. Now this, I, I love this question and it relates, well, it relates back to a couple of things we've already talking about. Dan, I've owned and operated a cleaning franchise business a little over 10 years now. We mainly provide cleaning services for small offices and some residential properties as well. On average, I work around 25 to 30 hours each week, which is really considered part-time work in Australia as full-time work here is between 38 and 40 hours a week. And yet I earn what many would consider a full-time income. The extra downtime hours I use for hobbies, gardening, exercise, and so on. Well, it's not making us a fortune. It's making us a living. They have to be thankful that we can afford yearly overseas vacation time with a family. There are a couple more upsides in the business that I can mention, but to get to the heart of the matter, the truth is I'm not proud of the work I do. Actually, I'm embarrassed about it, Dan. Although my friends know what kind of work I do, I never talk about my work. Whenever the topic about work comes up during conversations, I just keep silent, hope and wait for the next topic. I'm so embarrassed about it that I think I'm not exaggerating when I say that I'm almost in panic mode when I'm asked about what kind of work I do by an acquaintance. I already felt this way earlier on in the business, but thought I would be able to get over it eventually. Believe me, Dan, I've done some soul searching. I've tried to change my perspective about what I do, tried to convince myself that although it's unglamorous work, it's an honest job. 10 years off and on, I still feel as embarrassed about it. Dan, should I take the way I feel about what I, what I do, a legitimate indication that I'm not in the right business? Is this enough reason for me to move on to doing something else? I want to be proud of what I do and be proud to talk about it. I don't want to feel like hiding anymore when asked by an acquaintance about the work I do. Kindest regards, Dan, please help. Ron. Well, Ron, I appreciate your openness about this. Wow, this is a tough situation. So you have a a cleaning franchise business. In looking in from the outside, it's hard for me to understand why you're embarrassed about that. You're providing a service that people absolutely value and should love you for. I mean, just yesterday, we had our housekeeper, Rosa, came by and worked on our house. I mean, my gosh, Joanne's a good housekeeper. When Rosa comes, Joanne and I walk through our house afterward and it's like we're in a brand new house. It smells different. I mean, for days. I mean, we noticed things where, gee, the sun was shining. Yeah, there was dust there. Rosa took care of it. She went up and down our staircase and dusted around all the individual picture frames that are on the wall leading up the stairs. Well, Joanne noticed her doing that. And she thought, golly, I haven't done that in a very long time. But Rosa does it. Rosa cleans the wood blind shades that we've got on our windows. Golly, that's something that gets overlooked in normal cleaning. Not when Rosa comes, she does that. I mean, we absolutely love what she does. And we certainly don't see that as having lesser value, my goodness, than our dentist or our doctor or chiropractor. I mean, we equally value what she does because of what it means in our lives. So I don't, I don't know where that comes from. You know, I, I think you could take a different view. Now, I'm going to come back in a little bit and address, though, your angst about that, because I, I do want to come back and validate the feelings that you've got. But I also want to build on that a little bit. 
I don't know if you've ever heard the name Joe Polish, but Joe was a young guy. He was an addict, and he was just doing odd jobs. One of the things he started doing was carpet cleaning. You know, it's easy for an addict to do. You just kind of show up and go through the motions, do that. Well, he learned that he was very good at it. So he got his own small carpet cleaning business. And he realized he was always staying busy. And there were other carpet cleaners that were begging for business. So he started selling the methods that he used for marketing, teaching other people how to make it work. Well, the first year he started selling a $497 course, then a $597 course. He sold over a quarter million dollars worth in that very first year. He became a millionaire by the age of 30 and has gone on to do a whole lot of other things based on his success as a carpet cleaner. He now has Genius Network. That's a network you pay $25,000 a year to be part of that. And then you show up and there are people in there, um, like Brendan Bouchard and uh, Richard Branson, people like that. Genius Network. You can check it out. Joe Polish, his background is as a carpet cleaner. What about Tom Facho? You ever hear about that? That name? Well, Tom was an accountant, but he lived in a suburb of Houston and the residents were together. Guys were hanging out and they were complaining about their trash pickup, that it was days and there was trash that wasn't picked up. And uh, he says, well, you know, maybe somebody ought to do it better. And one of the guys kind of challenged him, well, why don't you do it? Well, Tom did that. So this was back many years ago. He spent $7,000 on a used Chevy truck that was fitted with a compactor. His dad helped him initially. They started, again, he was an accountant. He started picking up the trash in his suburb of Houston. Well, he built that into the company that was known as BFI. That was his company. He ran that for many years. He started other businesses, entire industries, his health and fitness centers and so on. Anyway, that business was acquired by Allied Waste in a deal valued at $9.1 billion because Tom systematized, he used his background in accounting to create good systems for how trash pickup could be done. And how you could scale it. So it wasn't just, you know, a guy in a pickup truck. No, he would have routes identified, systems identified. And he sold that business $9.1 billion. Now, that being said, I want to come back, Ron, to your feelings about your cleaning business. Right or wrong, good or bad, if you really have the feelings that you're embarrassed about it, then by all means, do something else. Now, here's where you can go with this. You said you've had this for over 10 years now, and you've been successful in doing that. You're making a good living. You're able to go on international vacations and so on. Use the skills that you have in running a business well to transfer into a new business and choose something that lines up with a passion that you have. Choose something that you really would enjoy doing. You know, I really don't recommend building a business you don't want to run or building a business, doing something you don't want to do personally. The fact that you've been able to make this work, you know, says a lot about your business savviness and that you're to be commended on. Do I think that you could be proud of what you're doing? Yeah, I sure do. But this is a very individualized thing. 
I mean, there are people who, who want to, you know, be the person that runs out onto the ice in a timeout of the hockey game here in Nashville and, you know, clean the, the plexiglass screen behind the goal, you know, and get the blood and the spit saliva and all that off of there. Well, that's not a job I would want, but there are people who really enjoy that. There, there are enough opportunities out there. We can all find things that we really enjoy. Somebody else, and if you have a cleaning franchise that's this successful, my gosh, put it up for sale. You'll have people stand in line to buy it. Cash out. Take your money and move on into a business that you do enjoy, that you're proud of. Absolutely. All right, Charles says, Greetings, Dan. My name is Charles. I've been listening to you for the past six months. You've been a great pro- proponent in motivating me to look outside the margins. My passion is cars and I fell in love several years ago when I was a teenager. Over the past year, I have grappled with starting my own detailing business. I'm passionate, know how to do an excellent job, provide a great service. I want to share my talents with other people. So after listening to you, I have almost everything I need to start a mobile business this April. Although negativity has seeped in the back of my mind, I've never been the one for an ordinary job and love the thought of being in control and having an entrepreneurial spirit. My main concern is whether I could support myself on this kind of business. It's not about the money, but happiness. Also, I want to be comfortable and stable financially. I don't need to be a millionaire, but I need to live a life that I can enjoy. Most of the detailing community I follow use passive income to generate extra income. For example, various social media outlets, including YouTube, and many other things to help themselves. I have no idea about passive income or what it entails. Is there something I can do that might be related to detailing? Or something completely different to take advantage of some kind of passive income or open up new income streams in general. Again, this is something I have no clue about. Another motivator is is to show my family that there are other ways than traditional jobs to make money. I also want to provide for them and help them live a little better. Appreciate your time and consideration. Sincerely, Charles. Well, Charles, you probably know I'm a car guy. I love this idea. I mean, one of the ideas that I developed years and years ago was um, an auto, not an auto detailing, but an auto accessories business. I called it Auto Appeal. I had vans with the really cool logo, the Auto Appeal, the A's in Auto and Appeal were like wheels on a vehicle. Um, I had a high school kid develop that logo, and it worked really, really well for us. But uh, we would service the new car dealers all around the area. This was up in Kentucky. And we would do aftermarket accessories, pinstriping, wheel up, molding, dorage guard, and um, you know, sunroofs, and uh, roll bars, and brush guards, running boards, cruise control, all the, the um, chemicals for protecting the paint and for rust protection. All the, Those are all kinds of things that I had as part of that business. Now, what I did with that, if I had known then what I know now, I would have used the prototype of that very successful little business and just simply replicated it over. And I would have created a franchise, taught other people how to do it in their communities and just rolled it out as such. Now, I don't regret not doing that because I obviously moved on to some other things, but it's an example of what you're talking about. Sure, you can be really successful doing that and you can come up with all kinds of things that will create 
passive income. Just as I mentioned a little bit ago, Joe Polish, who was a carpet cleaner, and then he started selling his systems for marketing that had been so effective. So if you're doing car detail and you're really effective in doing that, and you're creating $100,000 a year for yourself and income, you can start to teach other people how to do that. And you can end up making more money from teaching other people how to do it than from doing the work itself. And we see that played out at all kinds of different ideas. But yeah, you can do that. But detailing, sure, you can get, you know, contracts, agreements with people. And I talked a little bit ago about, you know, all the cars right here in Franklin, Tennessee. Now, I don't know where you live. I don't have that indicated here. But, you know, no matter where you are, there's going to be people. And if somebody has a Lamborghini or a Ferrari or a McLaren and uh, they want to have somebody that they trust to detail that, and they pay you $200 to do that detail, and they say they want it done once a month. They want you to come to their place, their home, or their business and do it while it's sitting right there. Wow, you can line those up all day long. So that's the kind of thing that I would go to where you do have continuing repeat business. Don't go to the new car dealers where they want to give you 50 bucks to do a detail. You know, I want you just to crank them out or you're just doing volume. Now get individual customers that trust you with their car that they're proud of and then give them a service that they're going to be proud to share with other people well i gotta let me look here at what we're going to continue with as we move on here get time for just a few more questions the music again reminds us you're listening to real questions that have been submitted by listeners just like you so if you've got a question i'd love to hear about it you got a success story, want to hear those as well? You hear a variety of things here. You can shoot those into askdan at 48days.com. Now remember, too, we've got that out of work going on, out of work at 48days.com. O-U-T-T-A-W-R-K. If you've lost a job right now, you're in between opportunities. Tell us about that. Go to the notes to get the details and what we want from that. We're going to be giving away some prizes all during the month of March because of that. But just for the regular questions, continue to have those come in right here at askdan at 48days.com. Now, Mark says, I used the principles from 48 Days to the Work You Love almost a decade ago to land a fantastic job, one which fit my skill, work style, financial needs. 15 minutes from home, total autonomy with a great schedule and during this time off. Your book really helped me define what was important to me then, and I landed a job that's been great. But as the years have gone on, I've married, had two kids, uh, got a mortgage, a family home, generally increased my financial output. So to meet that extra dollar need, I found a second job part-time, which is great, except for an 80-minute commute. This week, I was offered a full-time role with this company where I'd been working part-time. It's a fair offer with some minor tweaks I could see myself accepting. However, it doesn't check all the work I love boxes that the first job does. But the first job no longer meets my needs financially. The salary of the job offered would. Working two jobs is daunting. Uh, Time with a four and a six-year-old at home I'd rather be with. I'm struggling to consider leaving the first job since it's been so great and is so a niche that I don't think it'll be around if I leave it to ever come back to should the offered job not work out. What do you think? Well, I'm, I'm not a fan of just kind of drifting into an opportunity, Mark, as you describe, where you've got a second job and a long commute, and now they're offering to make that a full-time job, and you're thinking it's okay, but it doesn't really check all the work I love boxes. Don't just drift into something because there's an open door like that. 
this is a great time to get really clear about what is your highest value to an organization. What is that special blend of talent, passion, and money? Do a job search. Give yourself 30 days before you accept this, 30 days to do a professional job search. I mean, you ought to know those things about yourself. Just get it out there. I mean, companies are desperately looking for people to bring on board right now with unemployment as low as it is. I mean, 3% nationally. I mean, places like here in Franklin, Tennessee, where it's 1.7. I mean, that means you can throw a rock and hit 10 companies that want to talk to you about bringing you on. So just do a job search and see if you can't increase the fit here dramatically where you don't have a long commute. I mean, you don't, you don't need to, I don't know where you live, but my goodness, an 80 minute commute is not necessary for anything that I'm aware of, no matter where you are. But anyway, identify, you know, the companies that are within 15 minutes of your house and do a professional job search. Get out there, let yourself be known, and then see if you can't get two or three offers that would be a better fit than this. I, I feel like you're just drifting into something just because the door is open. That's not enough reason to say yes at all. You know, Jim Carrey, uh, of course, the actor, we've got stories about him, you know, in his getting his mindset right. But he said, I learned many great lessons from my father not the least of which was that you can fail at what you don't want. So you might as well take a chance on doing what you love. And I love that kind of positioning where don't golly, just get stuck in something that you don't like and end up failing there. If the chance of failure is there, it might as well be doing something that you love. And of course we know a lot of things change when you're doing something you love. You're not as likely to fail. Because you bring a different mindset and energy and creativity and passion, enthusiasm, all those things you bring to the table where you don't have those if you're just going through the motions to get a paycheck. Well, let me go to uh, Claudia. Claudia says, hi, Dan. I thought I'd give you an update. My sister Pam and I came to your right to the bank event and then your first Innovate event some years back. Yeah, I remember you well. Uh, Claudia, and what you you and your sister coming and the interaction we've had since then. Those lessons have stuck with me, Claudia says, with barely trying and still teaching full-time and being involved in a bunch of other things. I've sold around 4,000 copies of my military book, Served with Pride. Now, this is a, a book, you know, and I've got a copy here that Claudia put together after being to our Right to the Bank, where we worked with authors, writers, and putting the product together and getting it out there, even if you didn't have a traditional book or a traditional publisher. Well, she did that with this military book or, or drew on her own background and put this together, served with pride. She says, I just sold 550 of them to Honor Flight Hubs in Wisconsin and Florida. I sell them at $3 each. My cost is about three fifty. Well, that's a nice bump right there. Wow, $7 spread. So so that's, you know, $3,500. Since they are print on demand, I wait until I get their check in the mail, deposit, then order the books from the printer in Michigan. They ship them in plain boxes for free for me to the customers. I never touch them. It's so fun. I also sell on eBay and do other things on the side. I enjoy teaching. So do not plan to quit, but the extra income and the thrill of it all keeps me going. I don't know. My, she says, my current question involves my husband. He's extremely skilled in old school architectural drawing and very handy. Recently, we bought several pieces of Ikea furniture, including 
a giant loft bed desk for our daughter, and a huge dresser. This was not our first adventure into IKEA furniture building, but boy, were we reminded how truly awful and unhelpful the instructional manuals are. There are only pictures, and the videos on YouTube by IKEA have no one talking, only video. Those are helpful videos on there. There are helpful videos on there from others, but you really have to dig to find them for the item that you're trying to put together. As he is at this moment putting together the big dresser and grumbling how there is zero information on what screw to use as far as size, etc., of the million or so included, he had an idea. What if he annotated the manuals of the more popular manuals with the screw sizes, helpful tips, and so on? What if he just put instructions together? Um, she says he's extremely handy, figuring things out is difficult for him with these lame instruction booklets. He said, what about those people who are not handy and need to read the instructions, not just watch a video about how to put things together? Surely there are people other than us who prefer a good set of written instructions. And this furniture is so incredibly popular too. Would we be allowed to take the actual IKEA manuals, annotate them with measurements and helpful notes, scan them in as a PDF and sell them for download somehow? I just have no idea if the Ikea lawyers would come after us or if this is even a good idea. Well, honestly, it's not an idea we'd pursue for some of the reasons you've already alluded to here, Claudia. I mean, this is Ikea. You're talking about coattailing on their brand, their manuals, and just adding to those and then charging for those. Yeah, that's a lot of gray area there. And frankly, it's... There are too many issues there. I don't think it would be worthwhile. And if this were a million dollar idea, that'd be one thing. But I don't don't think it is. I mean, it's so easy to search for videos that give you information about things like this. I mean, I do a lot of things, you know, on, on my car. If I'm having trouble with something in my Corvette with a computer system, golly, I just Google it. And I'm going to get videos that walk me right through, no matter how complex it is, you know, from somebody that really understands it and shares that well. And I don't know that I've ever paid for that kind of instruction. I think it would be frustrating for people who have paid for the IKEA furniture to then feel like they have to pay for instructions as to how to put it together. I think that's going to be a really, really slim market. And again, the fact that you're overstepping a brand and material that they already have out there that you're going to add to it'd be complex. You could, I would want you to weed through that legally on the front end. And I doubt that you're going to get permission to do that. And again, I don't think the payoff is potentially great enough to even make it worthwhile. Now, that being said, I'm confident there are other things that your husband can do that uses the same skills, but is in a more appealing arena than this. Uh, I don't have great ideas. I haven't thought through this a lot, but take those skills, take the skills and look at where could those be applied in a different area where there would be the potential for people to pay. Now what you have caught in this book that you've put together that you're doing so well with, you know, served with pride. I mean, that's a great example. Take something that you're interested in, put it together, put it together, even in a three ring binder, like you've done, you may want to put an audio in there and there's all kinds of things that you could do where you have the instructions and it's all laid out in that. But, um, I'd, I'd stay away from 
the IKEA idea here. Well, just my just my opinion. I'll think through that some more, and if I have a change of mind, I'll tell you. But that's my initial response to that. Now, I just want to remind you a couple things here, and we're going to wrap this up. But again, one of the the one of the resources that I mentioned that I think is really going to be important for us is what to do if your dream is not paying the bills. The podcast I did a couple weeks ago, you know, we've cleaned that up, pulled out the commercials out of that, just made it a standalone. What do you do if you really have a passion, but it's not paying the bills? Well, I gave some tips in there and some resources for that. And now we've had a listener that's added a study guide to go along with that. We've combined some other resources out of our arsenal to go along with that. And all that's put together just in a free resource for you listeners if you go to 48days.com slash creativity. So there's that. And then also just to give you a reminder again about the contest that we've got going on. Now, I know a lot of you are out of work. And uh, we respect that. Again, there's no shame in that. There's a lot of, I mean, as I'm speaking, in the time that I've been sharing this podcast, there are people who are strong, ethically responsible, hardworking people who have lost their jobs. It just happens. So nothing to be ashamed about. But if you find yourself in that in-between opportunities position that we're talking about, just send a brief note to out of work at 48days.com. Again, that's O-U-T-T-A. W-O-R-K, out of work. We just kind of created a word there, out of work at 48days.com, explaining how you lost your job, what you learned from the process, and what you're moving to. And then we're going to draw one name per week in March that you receive that fresh start package. That's a robust compilation of products from us. And we'll choose one person a week. Yeah, we may get carried away and do more than that. But we're going to choose one person at least a week to be a winner for that. That's sent out to you to help you kickstart the next season in your career. Well, speaking of which, we got this song coming up. You know, I communicated just recently with Todd and Emily uh, from Gifty Song who created this song for us the music that we've got running here stuck in a job this has become kind of an iconic part of the podcast we get uh, videos and audios of little kids singing this song you know i i'm i really am thrilled with the fact knowing that there are so many kids teenagers high schoolers that listen to this podcast and get ideas to help avoid making some of the mistakes that maybe even their parents have made so I, I take a lot of pride in that. And of course, we're always going to keep it in a format where it'll be acceptable for kids to listen to, whatever the age. But I'll give you an update um, in the next couple of weeks about Todd and Emily. They, they have been, they've moved into some new arenas, some new things that they're doing as well. That's still available to do these versions of a, a unique personalized song like this we value what they did for us here a few years ago with this song the 48 days stuck in a job song that we play here each week so thanks for being part of this community for submitting your ideas to us it's ways that have helped me grow and thrive and the ideas that i get are not all unique to myself and original golly i'm the beneficiary of the the ideas of our community, with all the ideas that you guys are trying, the ideas you run by me for responses to help me keep my saw sharp and moving into new areas of opportunity for me as well. 
So we know that you believe you are one of the growing numbers that know we can find or create work that is meaningful, fulfilling, and profitable. With the opportunities we have all around us today, nobody has to settle for less. This is not being selfish. This is being able to tap into the very best God has put into you, put legs in that, move into the next season of your life.